0: Exercise and isometric exercise in particular, in the process of reversing many of the physical imbalances, chronic conditions and pain patterns in the body, simultaneously starts healing us mentally. The insight of exercise is that when you heal physically, you heal mentally. In subsequent parts of this series, we will explore how this happens. We will, for instance, see that why pressing a soft ball can make us cheerful. Why joining the middle and ring fingers to the thumb can relieve heartache? This is the beauty of the body. It has answers to all our problems. And this is the philosophy behind presenting exercise as a healer. The most essential thread that connects all mental disease and chronic physical conditions, is pain sensitivity. The more sensitive you are to psychological pain, the more vulnerable you are to mental illness and chronic physical conditions. While in its own way, psychological counselling and therapies have tried to address it, exercise seems to be such an easy and natural way, needing no special expertise to heal from psychological pain. But do we really like to exercise? Maybe whatever we have explored so far is something you knew always because we know these things about ourselves. But the problem is, in spite of the knowledge and conviction, why is there always an issue of motivation when it comes to exercise in spite of repeatedly signing up for gym memberships? it seems so difficult to maintain the drive to exercise. Could it be that we are not able to be regular at exercise because we are not made to like exercise? When we take a brisk walk in a park, the heartbeat goes to anywhere between 120 to 150 beats per minute. This is called the aerobic zone. Twenty to twenty-five minutes of this is recommended for all, as this will give the heart muscle its daily workout. It seems that it is more enjoyable to walk, run, stretch in a park, around a lake, along the sea. We feel great elation when we go on a trek. Nature seems to be a great setting for physical activity, it seems. There is no motivational issues if all one needed to do is take a brisk walk in a nice forested area with a few cat stretches thrown in. The problem seems to be to step on the treadmill, to do daily warm-ups and routines. In a study on an Aboriginal community which lived its traditional way of life, with no electricity and other modern amenities, it was found that each person did a minimum of four hours of intense physical activity every single day, equivalent to four hours of rigorous athletic training. This happened as they gathered fruit, herbs and vegetables, hunted, cleaned, built and maintained their homes. And they all had fit, toned bodies like the professional runners of today. In this community, it was seen that out of 1,200, only one person was mildly depressed. They died of infections, but there were no cases of depression. They never worked out in a gym or on a yoga mat. When asked if they liked to exercise, they said it had never crossed their mind. The concept of exercise seems to be a recent occurrence. Over the last hundred or so years, our life has changed drastically. Eight to ten generations back, in many cases in rural India just two generations back, our lifestyles involved a fair amount of physical exertion. Evolutionary biologists say, even if we had taken to farming around 20,000 years back, It is very recent in evolutionary terms. Our genes provide the basis of our biology. When wolves were being domesticated, after many generations of taming them, they became tame. They became our loyal pet dogs. For this to happen, there had to be a change in the genetic code of the domestic wolves which made them into dogs. A certain number of generations are needed for this adaptation to take place at the genetic level. You capture a wolf today and keep it like a pet dog, it's bound to get depressed. It's because, unlike the dog's genes, the wolf's genes don't support this lifestyle. Our genes have not had the time to adapt completely, even to our time as farmers yet, let alone To a modern industrial lifestyle. Our genes still seem to be attuned to the lifestyle of our pre-farming ancestors who live in sync with nature, like the aborigines. They had highly physical lives exposure to sun and the moon, access to fresh organic, whole, nutritious and unprocessed food, electrolyte-rich water, fresh air, sleeping 8-10 to hours in really dark nights, living in closely knit communities, in the company of animals and herbs, without being bombarded with electromagnetic waves. Though the current generations will find it difficult to conceive of a life before the smartphone, even our genes, let alone the genes of our children, have had no time to adapt to this fast-paced, sensory-rich, electrically and chemically stimulated, close-to-zero-activity lifestyle. When now even change is not a constant, because change itself is changing rapidly. We may superficially seem adapted to all of this, but at the level of our genes, we are finding it impossible to cope, and so we as a race are depressed. And that's why mental illness is all around today. Unlike our target research group, aborigines who come from communities which have been displaced from their natural settings and live in cities, in them there is a high incidence of depression. Just like in all of us, we see that pet dogs whom we train to live sedentary lives like us get depressed in spite of all the display of affection the best veterinary care, the most nutritious dog food and great grooming. Our genes are still telling us run, climb, get lots of physical activity, sunshine, drink water from these streams, roll in the mud, enjoy the flowers, look at the birds and squirrels, go bare feet, eat when you are hungry, sit quietly, Make some sounds, laugh, play, sleep. And we are not doing all of this. On the contrary, we have closed all avenues of movement. It is the body sending signals that we call depression. It is a danger alarm that we call pain. Our bodies are not designed to live this kind of a sedentary sensory-rich life which is divorced from nature. Our instinctive reaction to this extreme form of deprivation has been, let's exercise. So we have created a separate space called the gym. The best gyms will have images of nature running on screens with soothing sounds of birds, waterfalls, rains, thunder, playing in the audio system. This seems to be an instinctive counter-reaction. But again, in spite of this, we don't seem to take to it. If we notice, we like to run, walk, do some tough work at the garden or the fields. But there is an element of force that we feel in taking to any kind of formal exercise activity. A paper published in the Journal of Molecular Psychiatry states that mice were being tested for how exercise affects the brain. When the mice were running voluntarily on an exercise wheel, they ran in short bursts at a preferred speed. When they were forced to run faster than this speed and for a longer period, it was found that they experienced uncontrollable stress. An area of the brainstem called the dorsal raffin nucleus produces the neurotransmitter serotonin, which is a mood enhancer. Serotonin is called the happiness molecule. When the rats were allowed to move at their speed, the serotonin levels in this area of the brain went up. But when they were forced to exercise on the wheel, when it was not voluntary, the serotonin levels actually dropped. This simply means the rat is depressed, unhappy, sad. Serotonin goes up when you get enough sunlight, when you get enough physical activity, or simply when you get happy, say when you see a loved one, or if you love repairing gadgets, doing that can make you happy. Your serotonin levels are high. Good levels of serotonin will make your wounds heal faster. You will be less sensitive to psychological pain, less anxious, depressed, irritable, and will be more friendly in company, creating positivity around you. You will complete tasks successfully without getting bored or distracted. Let us look at one more important data which shows us once more that exercise is a specialized activity, but happiness is about the whole. A study published in the American Journal of Preventive Medicine estimated that prolonged sitting was responsible for around 4,30,000 deaths in a year in over 54 countries. Another study has found that sedentary behavior is a leading risk factor for mortality. It is estimated that in cities, even young people sit 6 to 8 hours a day. This makes you vulnerable to insulin resistance, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and reduces your healthy age and mental well being. The striking conclusion of the researchers is that these risks are not reduced even by regular moderate to high-intensity exercise. Even if we exercise 2 hours daily, it will not cancel the effects of sitting for 8 hours. Exercise cannot compensate for a sedentary life. It is like you cannot have endless amounts of sugary beverages and compensate for it by eating a good amount of green leafy vegetables. You just need to stop consuming absurd amounts of the drink. This simply means that we are not made to be sedentary and as we force ourselves to do it, thinking that we will exercise for an hour to compensate, we cannot succeed at this. In fact, if you look at people who are really fit, you will find that whether they do regular exercise or not, they have physically active lifestyles. Because when we are sitting for long hours regularly, the signals that the brain gets from the various movement receptors called proprioceptive receptors in the muscles, joints, skin and from the various organ systems in the body affected by this lack of activity and from the brain itself, the signaling becomes like a smoke alarm that goes on ringing all day. This experience is like having a nagging pain alarm every single moment of the day. You tend to develop insensitivity to your body's signals just to avoid hearing this. And when this happens, you stop being able to care for yourself well. You start doing things that may not be the best for your well being. And at the same time, you start becoming anxious depressed and start having mood swings. We need to address the expectations of the system which misses a physical life sorely misses fresh wholesome food, sunshine flowing water, dark nights fresh air, nature laughter Once we do this, exercise then becomes possible. And like we have seen earlier, there are many benefits of doing exercise. So we conclude this segment saying, we need to stop being couch potatoes and start being active. Exercise cannot compensate for a sedentary life. Two questions emerge from this. First, what is it that makes an athlete charged up to exercise every day and achieve incredible levels of fitness? And the second question, how do we account for yogis who sit for days, let alone hours without moving? Let's delve into the first question first. So it seems that our bodies are built for a moderate to high level of physical activity as a way of life. But we are not necessarily wired for exercise. So what is it that makes an athlete so charged up to work out? To achieve the kind of fitness that the aborigines have? By exercising? Why is it that most people lack that level of motivation? Is it because the athlete has a goal? We would like to share a small case study. Rahil was around 30 years old when he enrolled into one of our fitness programs. He had lost his mother when he was around 11 to 12 years old, went into depression and put on a lot of weight. When he came to us, he had 40 kilos to lose. He was on medication for high blood pressure. He had been depressed ever since his mother died. He had made many attempts earlier to shed his weight and every time it would come back. He had given up trying some time back. Why he came to us was because he would soon be a father. And he didn't want to welcome his baby with all of this. He wanted to be able to hold his baby without getting back pain, Play with her. Be the pony for her. Frolic with her for hours on the beach. This mattered a lot to him. He felt failure was not an option this time. One could make out as he was up for anything and had a hundred percent attendance record, doing everything he was told to. Through the practice of a regimen of yoga, without any discussion or talk about what his problem is, the exercise, breathing, cleansing, meditation, he shed twenty nine kilos in a span of three months. His high blood pressure became normal. He went on to do all the things he wanted to do, and he noticed the depression had lifted. We will discuss the yoga part in subsequent blogs, but here we are looking at the state of mind that made it possible for him to succeed.